Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Well, hello there, everybody. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your number one queer cripple, Andrew Gerza, your host. How's it going? How you doing? And I'm excited to shine a bright light on sex and disability with you for this brand new episode. I just got back from seeing a live version of Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I am, like, super queered up right now and super jazzed up and ready to go, Um, but I'm really, really excited for this episode. I also got to spend the afternoon driving, you know, coming back from where the play was and driving my chair, my brand new chair, which I'm sitting in right now. I got to drive it really for the first time, and driving a new chair for the first time when you're out in the world is really hard because when you're driving a power chair... The, the gears feel all strange when it's a brand new chair, so I spent the afternoon trying not to bump into people on the street. That was really fun. And I came home, and I'm super exhausted from the play, but I wanted to do a show. I wanted to record this episode because I recorded it three times yesterday, and my audio fucked up, so I wanted to get it done just for you. So let's get the episode started. Actually, wait. Before we do that, I want to say that... I've been looking at the stats of this show. We are... This is episode number 94. We are six episodes away from 100 episodes in total. That's awesome because I never thought we'd go past 50. And we're almost... We're almost double that now at 100. That's that's just really, really awesome given the niche-ness of this show. I also watched the stats of this show really closely. I really... When I started this show, I wanted the show to be serial-esque and get all the numbers and, and have like 20 million downloads and do all that. But as I, the more and more I do this show, I realize it's not about the numbers. It's not about that at all. It's about what this show means to the disabled community and people who are maybe listening and learning about disability and sexuality through the show for the very first time. So we're sitting at just over... 62,000 downloads, which I think for a show like this is incredible, and I am so thankful for the comments that I receive about this show from disabled people and non-disabled people alike telling me that this show opens their eyes or gives them a place to call home or gives them a new friend to learn about disability from. So that means the absolute world. So let's jump right into the episode. I wanted to I wanted to do this for a long time. I was having an IBS flare uh, last night, which is so fun and so sexy. I know, right? 
poop is the sexiest thing ever, but it happens sometimes when you're super crippled, and it happened to me the other day. So I, I've been wanting to do this episode for a while, and when I was feeling down and out with my IBS flare, I thought this was the perfect time to do research for today's episode, and I wanted to review The Shape of Water. The Shape of Water is the 2018 Guillermo del Toro movie about a woman who falls in love with a fish man. That's really, that's really as succinctly as I can put this film. She falls in love with a fish man, but it deals with disability in a couple of ways. It deals with the fact that the lead character of this film is mute, deaf and mute, and she's disabled and it's 1962 and she falls in love with a fish man. Um, and I wanted to talk about this film because it, it it doesn't do disability right, but it talks about romance, and so I thought this would be a perfect avenue to deconstruct this film and share some of my thoughts on the movie because I think it's really problematic and I have some things I want to say about it. It also won the 2018 Best Picture at the Oscars, um, which is problematic. So I guess if we as disabled people want to win Oscars, we should make movies where we fall in love with fantastical creatures. Um, but I have a lot of thoughts on it. I described it to my friend this afternoon as a movie where a woman seduces a man, sedu- no, seduces a fish man with a hard-boiled egg and some jazz, and that's literally the movie. Um, that's really uh, that's really an accurate synopsis. But I want to get to the film. I it, the reviews were that it was it was beautiful, a transcendent um, piece about being an outsider. Guillermo del Toro called it the fairy tale for troubled times. So it received a lot of praise, but none of the praise really focused on how ableist the movie was. And I wanted to take a look at that and also talk about how it ties into romance and just share some silly, fun thoughts about this movie. So I'm going to splice in the trailer now. Don't sue me, but I'm going to put the trailer in there. Whoever whoever created the trailer, 20th Century Fox, Searchlight, don't sue me. I'm going to put the trailer in and then we're going to talk about the film. If I told you about her, the princess without voice, what would I say? Eliza, come on! She can hear you. You clean that lab, you get out. This may very well be the most sensitive asset ever to be housed in this facility. You may think that thing looks human. Stands on two legs, right? But we're created in the Lord's image. You don't think that's what the Lord looks like, do you? This creature is intelligent, capable of language, of understanding emotions. When he looks at me, he doesn't know how 
I am incomplete. He sees me as I am. J'avoue, j'en ai bavé pas vous, mon amour. Avant d'avoir eu vent de vous. The natives in the Amazon worshipped it like a god. Get him out. What are you talking about? No. We need to take it apart, learn how it works. I don't want an intricate, beautiful thing destroyed. We can do nothing. I'm sorry. Don't do this, Alasa. What is she saying? Don't do this. Oh, God, it's not even human. If I told you about her, what would I say? I wonder. Okay, so before I get into the movie, I should let you know that the actress playing the Eliza character is a not deaf person, so they're a hearing individual. They're not a disabled person in any way, and that's a real big problem. I say again, hire disabled actors to play these parts. It's really, really disturbing that in 2018, we are still cripping up, and there's a lot of controversy within the disabled community, and I'll get to some of those reviews after this, after my review of what the disabled community has had to say about um, about this film and Sally Hawkins' portrayal as an as a deaf person when she's not deaf. I think it's really problematic, and I wanted to call that out right from the beginning and say that they should have worked with a disabled actress. So the movie feels very Beauty and the Beast. It takes a lot of its uh, cues from those canonical classic films. Um, it, it, it tells you right at the beginning of the movie that this is a, a fable, a fantasy, a story. Although it's set in 1962 Baltimore. Um, and the first person we meet is Eliza. And when, when we meet Eliza, she doesn't speak. So the audience, I don't think, knows or is supposed to know that she's mute right away in the first five minutes, there's elements of the film that are, that seem sweet because uh, the movie theater owner where her apartment is above offers her free free tickets to a movie. The old man she lives with who ends up being homosexual uh, calls her a child and so child without you I would be alone and I wouldn't know what to do. And if you don't know she's disabled, those moments come off as sweet and like endearing to the character but once you if you go into the movie realizing that this character has a disability it feels like they're talking down to her and it feels those first five minutes where we where we're introduced to the character when you know she's disabled already it feels super ableist and as i was watching and realizing that it was set in the 60s I also thought maybe that's a way, like maybe the fact that they call it a fable and maybe the fact that they said it in the 60s was their way of, of, of justifying their ableism within this film. I really don't know. But I think that, I honestly think that um, they wanted to use the fact that she was disabled and, and othered as a, as a selling point for this movie. And that's really, that just bothered me so much because we see it so often and... 
we were seeing it here again, and we're especially seeing it here again with an actress that doesn't have the lived experience to make that real. There's a scene in the first five minutes where we're getting to know Eliza and we discover that she likes to masturbate with an egg timer. Now, I love this scene, as problematic as the movie is, and believe me when I tell you the movie has problems, but as problematic as the movie is, I thought to see a character that if you know she's deaf going into this film and you know the character has disabilities, to see this character actively masturbating as part of her day, uh, I think is really important because we don't see disabled characters sexualized on screen. Again, why the fuck couldn't it have been a real deaf actress or mute actress to play this role? Why couldn't that have been done? I don't know. But to see the character masturbating and enjoying that pleasure as a disabled person, I think is really important. Also, I found it interesting given the time frame that we're talking about 1962 in the U.S., I found it really interesting that this character had a job and worked as a disabled person um, in the U.S. in 1962 because so many people with disabilities at that time were, you know, didn't work or couldn't work or were deemed, were deemed intellectually disabled when they weren't, were deemed mentally handicapped when they weren't, and were put into institutions because they couldn't speak. So to see this character with a job and working alongside, you know, a having a job, even though it's a menial job, she works as a cleaner for a government agency, which is where she runs into Fishman. But to see her have a job, I was, I felt both conflicted because I was like, I, w I wonder if them giving her a job is like another form of ableism. But to see that, given the time period, um, was interesting for me. So fast forward a bunch and she's cleaning in the offices of this government agency one day and she runs, she, they, they have to unload this asset which ends up being Fishman and they have this big tank for Fishman and she's in there cleaning and she watches them unload Fishman and um, then she's there every day with Fishman and she's cleaning the, she's cleaning around his tank and she's dancing for him and so she's eating her hard-boiled eggs one day and Fishman grabs one and then they have this weird moment of connection and then right away she's in love with Fishman. That's literally, that's literally the plot of this film. She, she gives Fishman a hard-boiled egg, they play some jazz and then they fall in love. It's a very, it's one, it's, you know, it's the American dream story. Some hardball legs, some jazz, and you fall in love with Fishman. There you go. The whole time the, the Eliza character is not talking, her and the Fishman connect through, I guess, really eye movements because the Fishman doesn't talk either. The Fishman makes, like, some scary sounds throughout, but they connect through the eyes and they look at each other a lot, and then she's in love with him, and, the, and we're off to the races, and they clearly have a connection with each other and I was giggling at one point when I was watching because the one thing that I will say that relates to disability a lot with this film is that the disabled character 
like I felt for the Eliza character at one point because she falls head over head over fins for Fishman uh, quite quickly, and I laughed because that's literally how I fall in love with with the people that I'm infatuated with. If you play a song for me or pay me any attention. I will want to be seduced by you immediately. So I was like, when it, when she very quickly fell in love with him, and like she does a dance routine, gives him an egg, and they're in love. And I thought, girl, you, you like that's that's me to a T. If you smile at me the right way or say the right thing, I will fall in love with you immediately. And I think it many disabled people fall in love or or inf- or, or become infatuated with people um, quite quickly because of disability and because of ableism so that was one part of the of the the film that I could appreciate how quickly she wanted to to be loved and to be to be to be felt to have some something feel something for her I really wish that it wasn't Fishman and she had there are a few characters like a like a there's the the scary angry bad detective man who's kind of hot I kind of wish that she would have fucked him instead of Fishman but I understood I understood her sentiment of wanting somebody to feel something for her. Again, I'm not saying that I want to be with Fishman, but I get it. Or maybe I do. He could have been hot underneath all that makeup. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark. But first, we're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners. So... We'll do that, and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carry sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey guys, my name is Jay Austin. I'm a chef, go-go dancer, an adult content creator, and I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. And we're back. I want to thank Come As You Are for being an amazing sponsor. And I want to thank Jay Austin, who makes some really awesome porn. I stumbled on him one day when I was on the Twitter sphere. And I immediately was like, who is that attractive person? How do I get to know them? And can I fuck them on camera one day? Um, and we, I started talking about my work with them. And I said, I want to... I want to do some work with you. I'd love to talk with you about what I do. And they said, he said to me, well, you know, let me, rec- let me listen to your show a little bit. Let me, and then, then we talk some more. And it, through his busy schedule, he recorded that promo for me. And he wants to be on the show to talk with me about porn, sexuality, and disability, which I think is really awesome. And I'm so excited to have him on. So that's going to come on soon. And if you are listening and you want to, A, sponsor the show, you can do so via Patreon by heading over to patreon.com slash content. Or you, if you're, a, if you're a, somebody with a disability company or some kind of company that wants to sponsor one of the only shows around sex and disability and wants to throw some money my way, 
shameless plug, just um, send me an email and let me know what's up. Or if you're just a listener and you want to record an ad or do a Minnesota or any of those things, send an email to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Send in your Minnesotes, your ideas, your questions, and we'll go from there. But now, let's get back to my review of the super ableist, fishy story, The Shape of Water. One of the things I do think that's important in this film is that the Eliza character, well, she's deaf and mute, and they treat her so horribly throughout the film and really ableist, she's not the monster of the film. Usually when we look at fairy tales like this, the disabled person is billed as the monster, the villain, the horrible one. At least in this instance, it's an actual monster that's that's considered the horrible one. It's an actual monster that people are afraid of. Um, I was happy to see for a brief second that she was not the one people were too, too afraid of. But then I also got super annoyed as I was watching. I was watching being like, you know what? Why does the disabled woman have to have compassion for this monstrous creature who isn't, you know, the way they did the makeup on this this fish man isn't sexy or attractive at all. And, like, she fucks this dude in her bathroom in, in one scene. And I just thought, I kept thinking to myself, why does she think this thing is attractive? Like, why can't she... Why? Because she is the disabled character and because she's the central other character in this film. Why can't... I'd love to see her be terrified like everyone else. Why couldn't she be upset that this fish thing is around and scared like the rest of the movie is of this creature? I would have loved her to be... to not show compassion for this fish man and be a little bit scared. Instead, they made her out to be this compassionate person towards the scary fish man. I'm a disabled guy, and I'm, I find myself very compassionate. I'm very loving, but I, I gotta tell you, if I was confronted with a naked fish man every day who looked like a fish man, I would be scared, and I would have a moment of disgust around fish man. There's one point in the film where the man she lives with who is super homosexual and older says to her says to her you you need fishman you need this you need him and i just kept thinking what does she only need him because she's deaf are you are you pushing these two characters together because she's the disabled one and needs him because she's so lonely and so sad and so like whatever that she needs this fishman to make her feel good i also got annoyed with how quickly she was wanting to save Fishman from being killed. There's a point in the movie where they're going to kill the Fishman and they want to kill him. And she she convinces the, the guy she lives with to help her hatch a plan to save him. And I just thought, but why though? Why couldn't you just have a moment where you don't save the Fishman? Why can't you... Why can't the quote-unquote other characters be a little bit selfish? At one point, the detective who who initially found Fishman and has is angry all the time about everything for no reason in the whole film, played by Michael Shannon, is um, is talking to Eliza and saying, you know, 
I like it that you can't talk. I like it when you squawk. And when you squawk, I, I want to make you squawk. I want to make you, I want to give you those little noises to make you squawk. And it was just kind of gross because they sexualized Eliza in a negative way. And the character was dealing with the misogynistic undertones of this guy. And how many times have disabled people been fetishized in inappropriate ways and made to feel disgusting and sexualized inappropriately? And seeing that touched a core with me because that's happened to so many of us. So I didn't agree with a lot of the film, but seeing that scene and being told that their disability turns you on and only their disability turns you on and having this character tell Eliza that she squawks felt super ableist but super true to form and I've I've heard things like that around my disability too so um, that scene made me really it, it struck me in a really powerful way because that's happened to me and to countless other disabled people as well it's weird because I, I said in a second ago that I was conflicted that she was saving the fish man and why does she why does the disabled person have to be the savior but also I think it is in a way important to note that she was saving someone instead of being saved although and then I guess you could say that her love her love with Fishman was saving her from her sad drab disabled life um, but I did find for a second that her trying to save Fishman and making her the hero was again super ableist in a way but also flipping the tables of ableism just a little bit to make it not as tropey as we're used to when it comes to disability stories where she wasn't necessarily like outrightly being saved all the time. So that was nice to see for a second until they smothered the film with more ableism. And then there's a scene in the film where she has a fantasy. It's, it's around the middle to end of the film and she has a fantasy where of course, she starts to sing, um, and she the of course the actress playing Eliza is not deaf or mute in real life, boo. So she can sing, and we see her sing, and we see her have this moment where she is quote unquote normal, and that of course pissed me the fuck off right away because I was like, why can't we have a romantic moment with a character who is actually disabled, and why can't we get a disabled portrayal? of romance and of these feelings that is grounded upon some level of realism within disability. And I knew as I was watching the movie, I knew something like that was coming where all of a sudden she would like gain her voice back. But I, it just bothered me so much because I would have loved to have seen that. There's a, the whole scene is where she like sings and dances and taps and does this thing in, in black and white. And it's beautifully shot. Unfortunately, it's beautifully shot, but I would have loved to have seen the scene done by a deaf character, and I would love to have seen that emotion translated by somebody who's actually deaf. I also have feelings about the way ASL was talked about in this film, and I'll get to that in just a minute because I have so many feelings about that too. And then she goes on to save the creature, and they literally, well, she goes to try to save the creature, and she's shot in the process, and then, um, and then when she shot the creature, 
revives her, and while we don't see her speak, it is implied that she, her disability is gone, and she's free to live with the creature under the sea. They steal so many scenes from E.T. and Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid in that last, like, 20 minutes of the film. It's kind of gross, and seriously, Disney should sue the shit out of this film because, wow. I also don't understand... I, again, don't really think there was any reason for her to save Fishman. It just it just feels really cobbled together. Um, but I want to now get to some more critiques of the disability in this film. So, let's do that. The major critique from disabled activists and people who were disabled who watched this film was the idea that, of course the disabled girl would fall in love with Fishman, and of course she couldn't fall in love with a real person, and so the idea that the that she would fall in love with the other is just really overdone and, and kind of and kind of just really super ableist. Like why why does why can't we have a disabled character that is a little more nuanced than, than this than what we saw here? Why was Eliza's only note to be to be loved and want love. I, I, I think we just need more complex characters. And and Kim Sauter, who runs the Crippled Scholar blog, wrote a great uh, piece on, on The Shape of Water. And I want to read some quotes from it because I think it's really important. Kim says, The Shape of Water could so easily be a different kind of horror film about the dangers of social denial of the sexuality of disabled people and how that makes them easy targets for abusers. Instead, it does exactly that story, but ignores the inherent dangers of becoming infatuated with the first man who pays you any attention because the world has spent decades telling you that you are undesirable. Seriously, though. Seriously. It takes what should be a cautionary tale and turns it into a, into a bittersweet romance. In so doing, it absolves the bigoted world that rejected Eliza and ends on the message that if the world doesn't work for you, even if it's clearly the result of discrimination, that the best option is to leave. I agree. I think that the part where Eliza leaves and goes only with her lover is truly, as Kim references here, is a... Is a is a recipe for abuse. And Kim talks in her article, in their article, sorry, um, in their article about how this conclusion of going only with your, your lover mirrors their own youthful fantasies about romantic relationships. And I would tend to agree. When I fantasize about my lovers, I th only think of it being me and them together forever alone. And... Kim is right in saying that's a recipe for abuse. Um, and I don't think that many peop many disabled people realize the idea of you being alone with your lover when you are super disabled could totally be a recipe for ableism and abuse to occur. And I love that Kim brought that up in this review. I was reading an interview uh, in Slate dot com about uh, with with the sign language coach from the shape of water and I was disgusted by how quickly they 
applauded Sally Hawkins for learning sign so well and for doing it so well. And the whole interview is the the sign language coach applauding her for doing such a good job. And it grossed me out that in 2018, you couldn't stop and say, um, you know, we should have more disabled actresses doing this. And I really wish that Hawkins had given the role to a disabled actress or a deaf actress. Um, and it just was like quotes like Sally is an extremely hard worker and an unbelievable actress. So she made my job easy. I'm so proud of her work. Oscar worthy. And also there's a scene in the movie, speaking of sign where Eliza signs to the detective guy. She gets mad at him about something and they're fighting over the, the fish man and she signs, fuck you. And the, the sign language coach says in the, in the, the interview how powerful that scene was how important it was that the the Eliza character sweared him in sign and all those things and how emotive she was doing it and I just thought you know what a real disabled actress could really bring that home and be a lot more expressive because they have the lived experience of knowing what it means to be ostracized and learning the importance of fuck you in sign for real to express their anger the interview with the with the uh, sign language coach really pissed me off because it just reinforced the ableistness, the ableism within this film, and how everybody in Hollywood just skirted around it like it wasn't a problem that this non-disabled actress was portraying this role. There's another review of this film by Elsa Sinjensen Henry, which really cuts in and really says some awesome things. I'm going to take a quote from that because I really agree with it. Um, they say, If desired disabled heroines were common, then I wouldn't have a problem with them being partnered with hot monster boys. But we don't live in that world yet. Able-bodied her her heroes can have all the hot monster boys they want to go along with all their able-bodied human lovers. Until disabled heroines and their bodies are desired by the same frequency of able-bodied to monster lovers, I'm not going to be comfortable with only monster lovers for disabled women. That's a fucking awesome quote. So, so good. And I agree. Totally, completely agree. Henry continues with, with the final quote of her review. I wanted to feel included in the human world. Instead, the film reinforced the narrative that I belong below the surface to be put on display when it suits the narrative. And, you know, this film, I, I agree I agree so much with what these disabled reviewers said. And it, I also love it how the disabled reviews, when disabled people review these films, it's so much more honest. And when non-disabled people review these romantic pseudo-films about disability, they ignore disability almost entirely to look at the artistry of the film. And I wish that these reviewers would see that real disabled people can create art. I wish they could see that. And this film of, you know, I wanted to love this film and I wanted to, I wanted to see a film where a disabled woman was desired properly too. And I got excited when I first thought about it, but then to see how they fucked it up so hard with all their ableism around romance was just really sad. Um, 
I really wish that Eliza didn't fall in love with Fishman, and I wish that that sh that she was given more to do, and I wish the character was actually disabled, and I wish that she could have fallen in love in a more stable context, not to meet the narrative of able-bodied people, um, and not to be. I wish she could have fallen in love around a narrative that was not otherness. That trope in Hollywood around otherness and disability is getting so tired. And even when you add in Fishman, Fishmen, it doesn't make it any better. Alright, so there you have it. That's my review of The Shape of Water. Um, I, If you want to see this film, you need to suspend your disbelief a lot because there are a lot of problems with it. Um, I'd love to, anybody who has seen this film who's disabled, if you have an, a review or something you want to say about this film, send, me, send it to me and maybe I'll put it in for a Minnesota. Um, also, pause what you're doing right now, After you, now that we're done. Send in for a Minnesota to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. I am dying for more Minnesotes because I love getting them from you. They're great. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can head over to the Patreon. If you want to be a guest on the show, send me an email. But next week, I'm really excited for next week's show because it's a guest interview with somebody from the UK who talks all about autism, sexuality, disability, and all these amazing things. So, um, thanks for listening to my jumbly review of A Shape of Water. I had a lot of feelings about it, and I hope that I put them down kind of coherently in this review. Um, all right, well, and we'll talk to you next time on deli on ooh, talk to you next time on Disability After Dark. Thanks. Bye. Alright, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Crippled Content Creations 2018